Prime SP from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show about the general Marvel comic universe, part of the Guinea Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other hilarious and fun geeky shows at guineageeknetwork.com. This is the official guineageek.com show. Each week we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official Gonna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. I miss my gifts. We also have the wonderful SP. I can now control my oven while I mow my grass. You know, that's that's a, a always a good feeling. I remember the first time I updated the firmware on my oven, not, not an exaggeration, and oh, it feels so good. Almost as good as it feels to have Suncast here this week. Hey, Suncast. Let's get lit. <laughs> for the audio listener, Fire. he is holding up a lighter, a barbecue lighter for some reason or something. So anyways, apparently uh, there's going to be a... a, 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 a a, a a roast? <laughs> no, no. SP Shiggy's head. No. So well, he started me. the oven, so the roast is ready. Sorry, Suncast. Suncast is holding up a lighter. That that's a very mm. good distinction there. Yes, he's holding up a barbecue. This, this is lighter. what SP means by he can control his oven while he's using his lawnmower. It's me controlling it. No, I do not. I mean, I have an Internet of Things range now, and I control my oven while I'm mowing the grass. Oh, wait, so you mean I can control it from Mars now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. I I mean, as long as there's a connection, yeah. Sorry, my official headcanon now is SP text Suncast and says, hey, set the oven to 425, and Suncast walks into the kitchen and sets it for him. This is my new headcanon for how the Internet of Things range works, is Suncast does it. That, that's Zarian text Suncast in the basement and tells him to go change yes. the oven to whatever. And then Suncast goes, that is what happens. It's not me. It's Zarian. <laughs> I think he offers this service to multiple people. Because he lives in Zarian's basement. I thought it was on, on Mars. Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Where the hell do I live? Oh, if you are completely confused, well, so are the rest of us here. Uh, But (laughs) Suncast, it is a pleasure to have you here this week from wherever you're broadcasting, whether it is Mars in SP's basement or Azarian's basement, wherever it is. Thank you. Uh, Let's go ahead and get into the news because we got, I think, a couple of topics that might lead to some heavy, heavy conversation. I'm going to go ahead and start off here today with some very weird news. I'm going to call it weird because, well, it's my news point and also because it's to do with Google Stadia. Yes, we've been following Google Stadia from the beginning, right from the moment that I ordered one and pre-purchased one only to send it back completely sealed because I'd read the reviews and it took like two weeks to arrive and I realized it was a waste of money, so I sent it back. Right through to when Chris Farrell purchased the Stadia. And by purchase, he got some form of crazy promo. Through to where they... Free. Sh- free, free. Free. 
through yeah. to where they shut down the Google Stadia studios and where they fired the basically top tier at Google Stadia, indicating that the writing was on the wall that Google Stadia was going away. Yes, today there's brand new Google Stadia, which is that Google Stadia is coming to the Google Chromecast with Google TV in it as of June 23rd. If you're saying to yourself, Stephen, I thought the Chromecast already supported Google Stadia. Well, you will be pleased to know that, no, it was only the Google Chromecast Ultra, apparently, that supported Stadia. That was the one that did. Contrary right. to the fact that Google Chromecast with Google TV was the big one that they touted last year and really tried to get everybody to buy into because it was the new style of what Chromecast was going to be. And they're trying to market it as like a fire stick replacement. No, it was not even on that until June 23rd is when it will become available. So if you have been saying to yourself, Stephen, I have just been waiting to use Google Stadia until it supported my Google Chromecast with Google TV. First off, you're a liar. That's not true. Uh, secondly, you should know that you can now do that on June 23rd, which brings, brings up the question one. Why are they still doing things with Google Stadia since it looks like it's dead? And two, why didn't they support their flagship device when the flagship device came out? Like, that seems like something that two departments should have spoken about before they released the Chromecast with Google TV and said, hey, let's just make this work here and make sure it supports Stadia because we're trying to, you know, sell that to people. Hey, Steven. In other news, Google Stadia is supported by Google Glass. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that, but I want to buy that. I think the interesting thing here is actually the part that you didn't mention, that it's also going to be supported on other devices that aren't the new Google Chromecast. Like I'd seen the NVIDIA Shield devices yes. and a couple other Android TV or Google TV, depending on which naming convention they're going with devices will be able to support this. So the bigger news is more that they opened the door so that it's more than just the Chromecast Ultra that can support it. As to whether that's too little too late, I think that Steve and I have already made our opinions kind of well known on that, but this does make me interested to see how well it would work on, say, the NVIDIA Shield, which has pretty hefty hardware in it, even the 2015 version. So yes, I know it's mostly streaming, things like that. There should never be an issue locally where you get bogged down because of insufficient hardware requirements, things like that. And it also makes me go, hmm, if they can pull off 4K gaming on streaming on a stick connected to my TV, when is Microsoft going to do the same thing for their game streaming service? Because yes, you can sideload the Android app on there and sort of make it work. But since it's a phone app that you're putting on the TV, you're capped at 720p. So you're not really yeah. getting a 4K HDR experience. And to be fair, Microsoft is not touting that experience yet as something that can happen. I think that game streaming only caps out at 1080p. So from a technological standpoint, Google has done something pretty cool here. The question is, is it too little too late? I tend to think so, just because we've kind of seen Stadia have a lot of hits and not positive ones go its way. So I'm curious to see how the tech works, but it doesn't give me much faith that the service is going to continue to live and do anything. SP, I want to know what your thoughts are here, because I know that you were very disappointed by Google Stadia. In fact, I believe the quote of 2020 out of your mouth was Google Stadia. You have broken my heart. <laughs> you know, with these bigger tech companies now like Alphabet, which is Google, right? 
or Google is a division of Alphabet or Apple or even Amazon, I'm getting the increased opinion or the increased uh, just vibe that, like you said, departments aren't talking to each other. There's not a unified approach to, okay, this is how we're going to game plan the next 12, 18 months, 24 months, whatever the product cycle is. And this is what we're going for in five years. And we want you to integrate into this. And oh, by the way, stop doing this because we're going to cancel this product line and you need to roll it into this new thrust over here or something like that. I'm just not getting a good strategic planning from the develop. Now, that said, a lot of really good innovation comes from outside those lines. So I'm not going to completely disparage what's going on, but I would want it to be a little bit more connected. I want it to be together. And just the fact that you have this development going on on, on honestly a dead product line, it, why is Google expending the resources to do this? I just don't get it. Well, I think we're all equally confused here as to why Google CS still even exists in any form whatsoever at this point. Because I don't, you just never hear about it anymore. And, and I take a little bit of an issue with like just the name convention that they have for these things now. Chromecast with Google TV. Just call it <laughs> Google TV or just call it Chromecast. What, why is it got to be Chromecast with Google TV? I also think they should have just gone with a whole new name, but that's uh, they don't short need the of that. Thing. Short of that, they should have just called it Chromecast Fourth Generation or whatever it was, because that was the yeah. fourth gen, right? I think so. That's a problem with naming convention that Google's always had. Remember, when people think of Chromecast up until this recent one, it was a dumb switch basically that you pushed a button on your phone and flung content to. Google was trying to make a point now of be like, hey. This still does that, but it also runs Google TV and allows you to have apps and stuff on it. So they should have renamed it. They wanted to cash in on the Chromecast naming convention, I think. Whether that worked or not, I don't know. By all accounts, the hardware is pretty solid and decent on it. I have not bought one yet, but I'll probably be rotating one of my streaming devices out. And when I do a $35 Google Chromecast, uh, yeah, I'll probably just put that in there because it's dirt cheap and who cares? Mm-hmm. Well, I just hope that. At some point, they make a decision with it so that people can just like put those resources elsewhere with, with, with like, obviously, I think Chromecast will be around for a while just because there still seems to be some Steven, people. But Steven, let's be let's be honest here. Google has enough money to do whatever the F they want. That that is a fair point and something well, that to a point. I mean, eventually, if you keep making dumb major mistakes, you're going to run out of money. Well, the better question is, what can you take out of what did and didn't work out of Stadia and rotate that into something else? And I imagine there's a lot of lessons learned that we're not going to know in the next two to three years of technologies and tools they leverage that they'll be able to use for something else. And this is something Google's always been pretty notorious about is even though a lot of things go to the product graveyard, a lot of stuff that went into maintaining and developing those tools gets rotated into other things. So I think the real curious thing will be, say, two years from now, when the Stadia is basically dead because let's be honest, not a ton of people are using it. <laughs> what what lessons learned get used out of that for other services that Google decides to offer? And that'll be an interesting thing. And let's be honest, cloud gaming and things like that, this is this is the edge of new frontier for a lot of folks. It's a tough sell, 
There's a lot of lessons all companies are learning across the board that are doing it. So the fact that you fail is not necessarily a bad thing because there's a lesson that can be learned and tools can be used for other things. That being said, we all sort of called it with Stadia because it yeah. just seemed more like a me too kind of service versus a uh, established thing that they're going to well, spin out. And, and when you say that, I, I think it's important to note that they were, they basically were ahead of everybody except NVIDIA in the concept of cloud gaming, but they kind of came out of nowhere and caught up quick. Wait, you, you, Microsoft only had beta at when uh, state when um, when uh, Stadia came out. Like you're looking very um, inquisitively there, Chris. When I a said beta that. that was basically open to everyone. Um, I don't know that it was because uh, I believe in Canada I got in. I think I had my Stadia before I got my beta for XCloud because they rolled it out in Canada later than they did the States. So maybe in the States, but not in, in Canada. So uh, in any case, a beta is a beta. So uh, you, can, you can say that Microsoft had it first, but they didn't. They, they were still well, in beta. If we want to get technical, then Microsoft's still in beta for game streaming. They make a point of saying that anytime you launch the app, it's still beta. It's not an official product that's out there for purchase it's still considered Fair. a beta as they're investigating and building up the capabilities then that, that uh, i i mean mean it even more so then but still they they did google seemed to come late to the game and with the wrong people at the table the biggest thing though for me with this whole news point is that google chromecast with google tv came out in september 2020 they're implementing this june 2021 if I was looking to buy a streaming stick, like a streaming device, and maybe Google Stadia, why why would I sit there and buy a Chromecast Ultra, which came out in 2016? I looked it up. It came out 2016. Why would I sit there and want to go, okay, I'm going to invest in this Ultra, which was more money than the Google T the Google Chromecast with uh, Google TV. <laughs> so why, why, why would I do that? Why, why would I invest in the Chromecast Ultra and because Steven, you're a dumb dumb that doesn't even know what a Google TV Ultra thing is. <laughs> but seriously, why why would I invest in the Chromecast that came out in 2016 if I wanted? Because you don't know it came out in 2016. It says Ultra. That's got to be the best. That's the premium product, right? It's Ultra. That's good. <laughs> Fair point. <clears throat> because Google had the courage to pivot to smart home devices and incremental OS updates that screw with audio drivers. I think. <laughs> I think I got it all in, in that one sentence. Wait, are you describing Windows 10? No, Courage, <laughs> Apple, I, I to pivot to smart home devices, Amazon, incremental OS updates that screw with audio drivers, Microsoft. That's all. I like it. When Windows 11 comes out, it'll combine all of those into one wonderful OS. On that note, let's go to the news point so you can let that sit in that basically we just admitted that we hate all technology on a technology podcast. <laughs> I think we said that. D D Atari's coming out with a new console in a couple months. We're we're good. We're good. God. Don't even get me started on the VCS. I'm not taking the bait. <laughs> all right. So what's going on in the world of Fossil? So for those that aren't aware, uh, Fossil, the watch company, has been a longtime proponent of smartwatches, both with Wear OS and their own kind of hybrid smartwatches that have like a, a, a LED display built in that just have a text ticker that show notifications, things like that. And it gets interesting. 
we're going to talk about Wear OS right now. And if you remember, a couple weeks back, Stephen had told us news coming out of Google I.O. that Samsung and Google were combining their smartwatch OSs in an attempt to save the platform. Effectively, that they're going to combine Wear OS and Samsung's Tizen to create a new platform and have one central smartwatch OS for Android. As we talked about then, it sounded a bit promising, but there was a lot of consternation specifically from some folks like me that were like, hey, I've been bought into this platform and felt like I've been abandoned for the last three years. So what's going to happen here? We're finding a bit more out based off an interview we got from some of the uh, Fossil executives, specifically that current gen devices, if you have a Wear OS watch that you've bought in the last year or two, yeah, they're not going to support the new Android smartwatch OS. Probably shouldn't surprise us, but let's get some of those details. Fossil execs Greg McKelvey and Steve Prokop said in an interview with CNET that the company's existing Wear OS watches would not get upgraded to the new combined Wear platform from Samsung and Google. Instead, Fossil's planning a premium watch that Prokop said would have, quote, pretty major hardware upgrades, end quote, and existing watches will probably be discounted as budget options. CNET had more information saying that Fossil's Gen 6 watch would have features similar to upcoming watches from Google and Samsung with faster performance, longer battery life, new chips, and LTE cellular options. They said all of the software benefits Google's talking about in launching with the unified platform is something we'll be building into that as well. So Fossil's been a really good partner for Google when it comes to Wear OS. It's good news for Google and Samsung that Fossil's on board with whatever this new approach is for wearable smartwatch OSs. And hopefully it's better than Wear OS because... I've expressed my concerns with it over the years. And the new hardware and the fact that they're touting new hardware capabilities like that, it all sounds really interesting. But I kind of have to wonder right now, is it too little too late? Is it a tough sell now? Because there's a lot of users, myself included, who have felt burned by Wear OS in the last two years where we've basically had no updates, nothing really coming out from Google on what the way ahead is. As our watches got slower and slower and performed worse and worse, Yes, part of that is Google's fault. Part of that is also an issue with the processors that were chosen for these wearable devices because the Snapdragon, I think it was 3100 processor, the most recent one, just was not great for them, better than what had been there before, but it wasn't good. And now they're asking users basically to have faith that this new version with new expensive hardware is going to be better. So from a consumer perspective, I look at it and go, man, this is a tough sell for me. But as someone who's a technology enthusiast, I kind of I kind of get their point here of basically wanting a fresh start so that they're not trying to support two-year-old legacy hardware with processors and storage requirements that don't match what they would want on this new OS to try and give people an impression of what's going on. So I'm of two minds here. I'm really kind of uncomfortable and not optimistic with what's going on, but I understand where they're why they're taking this approach. So I'm still cautiously optimistic for the fate of whatever Wear OS and Tizen is. I just don't think I'll be buying one first gen. I'm going to be waiting for the reviews is what it comes down to because I have no realistic way to test it myself. And I'm pretty sure I'm not going to want to drop $400 on a first gen new Google OS smartwatch. Isn't Harmony OS the new Wear OS? No. No, they're just calling. I mean, they're just calling it Wear OS still. Like they're just continuing it. I the think the current Wear OS is still its name. They haven't said what the new name is of this combined smartphone, smartphone, uh, smart watch platform. Well, Huawei's Harmony OS is is uh, branching into uh, 
wearables and you're, you're going to be able to get a new OS, an Android-based OS with Harmony OS. I would not want to have a Huawei-based no. OS on my wrist. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, Huawei, because Huawei's doing their own thing. Huawei's, yes. Huawei's had to do their own thing because they got um, basically most important apps in Android no longer allowed to be used. Basically, they got banned from them. So, so that's why they kind of had to go out and branch out and do their own thing. Um, as for this point here, I want to just comment here that um, I'm completely shocked, completely shocked that a third party built something on Android and is not supporting it going forward. This, this is like, you know, it, it's surprising because Wear OS with Android has kind of been sort of in one path since it came out. But this whole thing about Android is is not new at all. Like where there's third parties making Android products and those products just basically get abandoned. This is the problem when you have things like cheapo tablets, like RCA branded tablets and things like that, right? Like sure. they just, they, they do this. They create a certain, they create a, a, a product based off a certain level or a certain point in Android. And then that's where they leave it. So I'm not surprised at all on this. Now, with that said, I think this is where we need to have that Google and Samsung collaboration come together to show us what could be of a product. This is what happened with the Pixel. By most, most measurements, Samsung products end up being better than um, better features than the Google Pixel products, like through the whole Google generation. That, that's pretty much been, been the case. However, Google from the beginning said, you will get updates, you will get security updates. And guess who was forced to finally do it? Samsung. Samsung for years and years was terrible at security updates until Google pushed this issue further. And, and they ended up doing it by doing pixels. And so if we can have this sort of showcase, it's not going to have all the bells and the whistles, the things that you expect from from like a, a cutting edge. Apple. Uh, yeah, an Apple Watch competitor. But it might be enough of a framework to have that same effect and make these folks down the road follow suit with updates and things like that. I'm sorry, but I think they have they have a real uphill battle because you have Fitbit and you have the Apple Watch. Those are the top two smartwatches on the market today. And they are both running away with it. I just don't see how Fossil, especially with it being Android and Wear OS and several generations old. And yes, they're doing the right thing by waiting until everything's all ready to go. But at the same time, this is still more of the same from Google and what we've seen with Android and just Android being kind of clunky to begin with and kind of end up going by the wayside with Android just kind of being second rate, to be honest, when you talk about it compared to some Apple devices where, yeah, Apple devices, you're going to get support on those devices for a long time when you compare that to what you get with an Android device. I, I don't know that I, I fully agree with, with that on like a general broad statement on Android, but with watches and wear, wearables, I 100% agree on that. Yes. Uh, by the way, just for, for your sake, uh, a while ago, you said, Chris, you're of two minds. So let's just make that complete here. So 
I want to make sure <laughs> you've got you. two, 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 two minds there. For the audio listener, there's two of Chris on screen right now. I mean, it's it's a tough thing to consider. Is like I, from a tech enthusiast standpoint, I'm annoyed by it. But as someone who thinks from a developer standpoint, I get what they're getting at here, which is you need a clean break to establish whatever this new platform is. Because honestly, if the first product is not good, there are so many people that are already so burned by Wear OS that I think it's just dead on arrival then, regardless Mm -hmm. of the intentions and the firepower of having Samsung combined with Google combined with Fitbit. Because remember, Google owns Fitbit now to make some super smartwatch. If it sucks, they're done. And yeah, I think that that last part there that you mentioned about Google owning Fitbit, I think that's where we might see that real shining star emerge of what can be of Wear OS. Because it sounds like like they, in the note that we talked about a few weeks ago, they just pushed Fitbit to the side. Like they basically had a, a little courtesy wave and that was about it. But I think though, we might see that come in a little bit later after the Samsung Google thing. But We'll see. Uh, Fossil, maybe you'll surprise us by by your decision-making here, but I don't know. I so, think you might lose people. Side note real quick. Fitbit just added, I think it's Audible Google Assistant to two of their platforms now too. So Google hasn't stopped pushing new features out to the Fitbit side of things. So I guess that's how they hedge their bets, which is this new collaborative thing doesn't work. It's we'll smarten up the Fitbit platform a bit more and start adding more and more Google Assistant hooks into it so that that's our backup plan. Hmm. SP, you've been kind of quiet here. Do you have any thoughts on this? As we discussed before, I've been using uh, the Apple Watch, Apple Watch 6, uh, monitoring my heart rate when I exercise. I can't wear the watch all day. First of all, I, I still do that. have that spinal injury, so it makes my hand go numb. But the Apple Watch, while I'm exercising to monitor heart rate and... Uh, a, a few other things while I'm exercising, it, it's it's pretty good. I, I like it. But as far as all the notifications and stuff, I know it's been updated on the operating system of the Apple Watch. I mean, they come out with new operating system about every year along with the watches. It's okay. I, I just, I even with the big screen, it's kind of small to deal with. It's kind of nice just to see a notification, but you can't really do much with just the notification. You got to go to your phone. Well, (laughs) I I think it's screen size. Just so much you could do with screen size there, right? So if there was a magical way to make the screen size bigger, maybe if there is, uh, I don't know, a, a foldable screen or a rollable screen that could come out or maybe a 3D projection or something like that. I think the wearable market will be a lot more versatile going forward. But even having the quote unquote flagship of watches right now, smartwatches right now, it's it's limited in what it can do. You know what Apple needs? They need a counter for their uh, smartwatch that counts how many apples you've had. I have been thinking that would be neat and I don't know of any watch or app that does this is to monitor calories as it comes in. I think, Chris, you mentioned something a couple of years ago. I'm trying to rack my brain. I'll take pictures of the stuff that you eat. And then oh, there will... was there was an app called My Fitness Pal that I used for a while mm, that right. you could photograph the UPC code and it would basically right. then yeah. take the nutritional information I, and put stuff. But it wasn't. I, watch I, 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 yeah, I want the actual 
but the food. I don't want to have to deal with packaging or anything. I, I just want the food you know, to be able I, I to was, do that. I have my fitness pal as well, and I've used that. With so. that uh, apple, I, apple counting joke, I was just taking the uh, low-hanging fruit. But uh, I do... <laughs> I do actually think that nice. <laughs> I do actually think though that it wouldn't be a hard concept to have something as long as you had your watch on the hand that you tended to eat with because you think like that the action of eating probably would be pretty easy for a watch to detect and so if all of a sudden like you know it um recognized that you were eating maybe it could start like if you had the right app it could say what are you eating and you could say you know, whatever, I'm, I'm eating an apple. And then it could track it because like the action of, of of just taking your hand, putting it in your mouth repetitively should be pretty trackable. What what else do you do where your hand goes down and then up towards your mouth? I, drink. I can't think of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it can monitor so, the weight. It, as I described monitor... that suncast, I'd never mind. I, yeah. I, I... yeah, yeah, right. But, <laughs> but you're right. It, <laughs> It could monitor weight and it could monitor in general what it would look like, you know, take a, a, a photograph if it had a camera associated with it. And it could do it. I, we're not at that point yet. But the ultimate calorie counter is something that will count calories when you're not even doing anything. And right now you have to be active about inputting what you're eating into an app like MyFitnessPal. It's not the only one out there that does it, but uh, that is something that's lacking. And I don't know if that's even possible, at least with current technology. It'd be great to get that beta test in a, a few years, though. So in like five years, have that capability. That would be great. Or um, have that integrated into some glasses smart OS, or maybe it's the whole whole thing, you know, you know all of it together. You, you know what we need? We need a photo, foldable smartwatch. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mentioned that some kind of foldable screen or a rollable screen or something like that. Like that Mars movie that Val Kilmer was in, they had the the foldable screens on their wrists. It, it was more on their yeah. arms, but yeah, it's doable. I would make the point that watch bands make all smartwatches foldable. I mean, that would be the interesting thing is if you could make the screen expand down into the band and things like that. But I think we're also overvaluing smartwatches, which is their intent is not to recreate everything you do on your phone. It's to basically extend Again, certain capabilities of your phone yeah. to your wrist so that I, you're not having to. I don't have a source for this. I, I remember hearing it or reading it somewhere, but Apple is looking into creating the smartphone into a watch. And it's like, like Dick I said, tracing. one of the main things is screen size. So if you can increase screen size any number of ways, that would make it more versatile. And you could have it on your wrist versus in your pocket or, or whatever. So, yeah, it's doable. Anyway, it's kind of taking away from this Wear OS <laughs> issue oh, right. a little bit. Other than I think there's a lot more game to be had here in any of the companies that are looking into this. And there is plenty of runway for a company that is quote unquote behind to catch up and even surpass other companies right now. Well, we will see what happens in the future. All right. Why are we got space wars? What's going on here? And who is the irrefutable winner SP? Well, we don't know who's the winner yet, but the question that a lot of people have been asking is which owner of a space tourism company is going to be the first to space? Suncast. 
<laughs> Does he own a space tourism company, though? Do you, Funcast? That's classified. Do I? <laughs> okay. So we'll go with no for now until something comes out, until he releases a, a press release and everybody catches on and that, that sort of thing. But right now, you just got the three. You got Richard Branson, you got Elon Musk, and you got Jeff Bezos. And Richard Branson, to date, was the only one that said he was going to go up into space in his own vehicle. Today, Jeff Bezos on Instagram said he was going to go into space. So guess what? He, if he does this, will be the first out of the three to win the competition, even though there's not really a big competition out there, but win the competition to take his own vehicle or rocket in this case up into space. Now, lots of caveats. Let's get into this. Blue Origin will make its first crewed commercial suborbital New Shepard flight on July 20th, 2021, which is the 52nd anniversary of the Apollo 11th moon landing. We talked about it before on this show with its owner, Jeff Bezos, on board. Now, Jeff will be accompanied with his brother, Mark, and the winner of an ongoing auction currently going for $3.5 million at the time of this recording. It had been at $2.8 million for a long time. Just this afternoon, it increased to $3.5 million. There is no announcement yet who, if anybody, will be seated with the remaining three seats. There's a total of six flights on board the New Shepard capsule. Now, the announcement was made on Instagram, and when I started talking to people about it, to my surprise, most of the reaction I heard has been, wait, Jeff is leaving Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Jeff made this announcement that he was stepping down as Amazon CEO February 2nd, 2021. It's now June 7th, 2021. And, and this is the way people hear about it. Oh, he's going into space. Wait, he's not the CEO anymore? Well, He'll be CEO until July 5th, and then he'll step, be stepping down, but he's still going to be part of the board. Don't worry, he's not going anywhere. It is unknown what the seats will cost on New Shepard once ticket sales go public. They haven't gone public yet. We've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. However, in a benchmark, Richard Branson's company previously sold tickets for $250,000 for a seat for a similar, similar suborbital flight about 15 minutes up into space. Uh, ticket sales were halted with his company following the Spaceship 2 VSS Enterprise crash in October of 2014. Now, it has been announced that Branson's company is going to resume ticket sales. We don't know when. And it is estimated to have increased ticket prices to $400,000 per seat. But no formal announcement has been made on the ticket price of the, uh, the Richard Branson's company. We don't know. But if $400,000 is a benchmark, New Shepard, the seats could go for $400,000, a million. It's a different experience. It's not a, a, a plane. It's a rocket. So we'll see. Now, if Jeff Bezos does indeed fly on New Shepard on July 20th, 2021, he will have beaten commercial crude launch competitors Elon Musk and Richard Branson to space. Now, here's where the competition gets a little rocky. Elon Musk has currently flown three crews to the International Space Station and launched his car into space. Bezos beat that, right? Among many other accomplishments. Also, Jeff Bezos' flight will only be suborbital and last around 15 minutes versus Elon Musk has sent people into orbit for days, weeks, months, actually, to the International Space Station. Again, Blue Origin beat that. 
Now, currently, Blue Origin has filed a complaint about losing their lunar landing contract for NASA that SpaceX won earlier this year. However, Blue Origin currently has support in Congress to give NASA approximately $6 billion more in their budget to develop both SpaceX Starship and the Blue Origin human landing systems vehicles. So Blue Origin seems to have some support in Congress. Hmm. And if you want to get really competitive, Jeff Bezos and his ex-wife Mackenzie divorced in July 2019 after 25 years of marriage. Elon Musk has been divorced a total of three times, twice to the same woman. Neither Musk or Bezos are married right now. So, I mean, if you want to get competitive, you can go all across the board there. Anyway, Jeff, if he does this, will be the first one of them in space on his own rocket. I have a question. You're saying that he would be be the first man on his own vehicle to go into space? Yep. Wouldn't that actually be Mad Mike Hughes, the flat earther that never made it to space? He never made it to space, but he was in his own vehicle. And I would say that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk haven't even entered their own vehicle, no less. I mean, I would say Mad Mike Hughes got farther than either one of them. Okay. So far. Right right now. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So what's the definition of space? Is space 62 miles up? I mean, that's the conventional definition. If that's the case, then uh, Bezos will be the first into space, but he's not going to be the first into orbit. He still has to reach it. This is is all talk at this point. Mad Mike Hughes has done more than either one of them. Mad Mike Hughes is dead. Yes, but he still did more. He still got further. He was in his own vehicle. He went up. Yes, he did successfully land, but... He did more damage to the scientific community by espousing his views of whatever I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that he got farther in his own vehicle than either one of these two people that say that they're going to be in their own vehicle and reach space. Doesn't matter. All of this space stuff is just on a soundstage anyways. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> uh, no, I, I so so kidding aside here, I, I do take umbrage with what's going on with this whole whole situation today because I Because it's not in Canada. No, because <laughs> there are so many people that don't follow it to the degree that us four do and, and many other people, because they all think like He's going out into space for days. Like, I've seen people post this article saying things like, well, he sure must love his brother to spend all that time with him. No, he, he could like, he, he flew. You mean 90 minutes? I was going to say, it t- <laughs> he'd be on a longer flight going from, from me to visit SP. Like, it would be a longer flight. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah. So I, I cover more distance, yeah, too. <laughs> I just think there's a lot of people that don't understand what this is. And again, you know, he's going to get credit because technically he, I guess he's going to space as people are sort of defining it worldwide. But it's really like very, very different than those accomplishments that you listed by SpaceX. So, uh, yeah, I, I find it very, very annoying that there's so many people that don't understand it because I think that he is getting unfair credit if the people actually understood what he was doing. Now, with that said, he does deserve credit for the, this to a degree. Like it is, a, it is a monumental thing. 
I just don't think if that, it actually happens. If it actually happens. Um, however, I think it's become very, very clear why Blue Origin is not, or that Blue Origin is not publicly traded, because otherwise he would never be allowed on this. Guys, this is a press release milestone. Yes, it's interesting, but the whole reason <laughs> it's being touted is he's the first that owns his company to get out there is because they haven't really won in much of the rest of the competition with SpaceX and things like that. So yes, it's cool. Yes, it's interesting, but okay, you're, you're going to space for 90 minutes. SpaceX has been flying things to and from the International Space Station and things like that. This makes it seem mm -hmm. like the space race is closer than it actually is. And I think it's great that Blue Origin's doing this. I think it's great that there's success going. I think more competition is better for everyone. But let's not pretend that the two vehicles are on the same level at this point in time. The two companies are on the same level in what it is they do. It's cool. It sounds great. And they can spin this into some positive press to move on with whatever their next steps are. Does anybody else see Elon just strapping himself on to the next SN test here? <laughs> I do. So Elon has previously made the announcement that he wants to have the first orbital flight of Starship to be before July 1st. Now, judging by what's going on in Boca Chica, Texas, Starbase, USA, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to call it Boca Chica because, of course, the Gonna Geek drinking game that whenever I Two, say Boca Chica, three. you take a drink. So. I just gave everybody three shots. By the way, whenever you say Boca Chica, I dance because in my head I've got like Four, Boca Chica music. I don't know what that is. Boca Chica, Boca Chica, six, Boca Chica, Boca Chica, Boca Chica, Boca Chica, Boca Chica. 12, 13, I think. You all going to die. So, yeah, what we have here is Elon trying to get up in the space, but he is going to have a much more complex vehicle and while the test might on crude test might occur later this year probably not going to be in july at this moment unless we see another test or two before july and i just don't see the vehicle assembly proceeding as quickly as that's going to happen so spacex has started to back away from that one july goal that elon set and they've started doing a little bit more realistic things, even the FAA filing that we were talking about before about the details mm. for the communication system, it was good for a year, right? So th this is going to take a little bit longer for Elon. Now, Elon does have the crude dragon capsule. He could strap himself to that and get him into space. No problem. Take an orbit a lap or two and then come back down and say, see, I, I could do this, <laughs> but it just doesn't make financial sense for him. He's more valuable here on the ground yeah. trying to get Starship up at this point in time and defend the NASA award. It's not really his to defend, but uh, Jeff has made a lot of great headway. As a matter of fact, the $6 billion extra is like double of what Elon is getting for his continuation development. There has been no official uh, budget that has said Blue Origin is going to get $6 billion. That is just what a few senators have thrown in the bills and what the White House is looking into right now and stuff like that. That's why we really haven't talked about it on here is, is there's a lot of, I don't know what's going to happen, but just by Jeff being able to cajole several, not one, but several members of Congress into saying, yeah, we're going to put $6 billion more into NASA's budget. It says a lot because that $6 billion is coming from somewhere else. Either that or the U.S. is printing more money or printing more 
fake money that they're giving to Canada in exchange for real money. So Some I don't Canada, know. if you will. There, yeah. <laughs> I will, Chris. I will. All right. Well, let's go on to the next news point here, which Suncast. Suncast earlier today started to talk about this point, and that's when we said, Suncast, you want to join the Gunna Geek show this week? And he said, yes, because I am obsessed with this point. <laughs> Are you? No, you said that to me. Oh, I, I didn't say I was obsessed, but <laughs> it's very interesting watching all these um, Apple keynotes when they come on and seeing everything that they do. So um, for those that aren't aware, today is June 7th. As we record this, it's Monday. And today was WWDC, which is Apple's developer conference. And I think I had an extra W in there, but whatever. <laughs> and so they announced a whole lot of new stuff software-wise. And one of the big takeaways was that FaceTime, yes, the, the video app on your iPhone and iPad and Mac are going to be cross-platform, which is huge news. The fact that, that FaceTime will now be accessible to Windows and Android via a web-based link. So this is going to work quite a bit like Zoom, where you can schedule a video call, send that link out to anybody that you want to join, and it doesn't matter what they're on. As long as they're on a browser, whether it be Android, whether it be Windows, or whatever other device you have, if you got a web browser, you can use this to connect and join that call. So for the first time ever, somebody not using an Apple product will be able to join a FaceTime call, which opens up a whole lot of new doors for the ways that you can interact and have a FaceTime call. It's pretty cool that some of the stuff that they're doing with this, they've added a whole lot of stuff. Um, one of the big things that they were talking about was new share play stuff, which is just more sharing abilities for uh, FaceTime calls where you can actually share videos, movies, audio, photos into a FaceTime call which is cool in itself. But I think the fact that we're actually getting FaceTime on Windows and Android is a huge leap. And I hope, I hope this leads to iMessage on multiple platforms down the line. What do you guys think about this move? That's the dream is iMessage. I think you could make an argument that getting FaceTime to be multi-platform might be too little too late because we've seen a lot of other companies already do similar things, which is, hey, here's your link. Click this. It's going to open a browser and let you join a duo call, a Zoom call, insert other company name, video messaging service here. It's good that Apple finally did it. It's something I think they had promised at one point in time back when Steve Jobs was alive, I think, to bring FaceTime to other services. In fact, I think he also said iMessage would come (laughs) to other services, which didn't happen. But I, I am more of your mind, Suncast, which is, this is cool, but what does it mean for iMessage? Because I will tell you, one of the worst things going from iOS to Android was breaking that iMessage connection for a mm-hmm. while. And in fact, it was broken for some people for the longest time where they would lose messages because you couldn't get the Apple servers to basically unlink your phone number to iMessage. So people who would send iMessages wouldn't change it over to a text message. So it would just be lost in the digital ether. And it's part of the reason why I never switched back to iOS for a while there, because I didn't have to go through that pain again of making sure that that was working or it magically starting to work, then break and then work again for no rhythm or reason. I see that uh, Stephen is literally biting his tongue over there over this story. <laughs> I'll, I'll defer to SP first before I get on my soapbox. We've talked a lot about what is holding me to the Apple architecture. And the big thing is my sister being able to FaceTime me. 
So if I can FaceTime her seamlessly, if she can call me seamlessly, if I can call her seamlessly from another device, then that opens up a whole new world to me that has been closed for a few years. Remember, I've had a couple of Android phones in the past. I'm not scared of it. I am, I'm not adverse to having an Android phone. The only thing that keeps me on it is my sister, who is severely mentally handicapped, can only use an Apple OS device and FaceTime me. That's the only way that she can call me. And I want to be able to be accessible to her. And she has called me many times just in the past couple of weeks. Uh, she just had her birthday and I traveled up there for her birthday, which was difficult to keep that a secret, by the way, when she's trying to FaceTime me while I'm driving up there. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I was able to communicate with her that way. And if I am able to FaceTime again seamlessly with her back and forth and she's able to FaceTime with me seamlessly, then I'm, I'm OK looking into other Android phones. The other thing that I think this is going to open up and maybe some people are thinking about it, maybe not, is if all these capabilities all of a sudden become more universal is that people are going to jump off the Apple architecture because of the Apple tax and it's going to cause Apple in a few years. They've already started this, by the way, but it's going to cause Apple in a few years to make more affordable phones and not just the flagship phone. There's, it, the flagship phones are just too expensive for most yeah. people. You what need you to go down in cost. What you brought up there is the reason why I don't think iMessage is ever going to open up because there are legit, there's legitimate use cases. People say, I stick with Apple because I like iMessage and how this is all baked in and people that don't leave because they're hooked into iMessage and like it. That's part of the reason people do it. And if you can keep people buying a new thousand plus dollar cell phone for two to three years because they like the messaging service that's baked in. Why would you change that? Why would you open it so that me on an Android phone could have an iMessage app to be able to communicate back and forth with folks? You wouldn't do it. Yeah. Y you know what? I, th I think they call Tim Cook Tim Cook because he can cook Tim up. Apple. T Tim Apple. Anyway, <laughs> I think they call him Tim Cook because he can cook up a whole bunch of bullshit. And that's what this all is right now. The reason now. why I, I go that far is because you want to talk. I thought we weren't going to allow him to talk. <laughs> what happened, Chris? We made this whole pact in chat. You, you know why? You failed weak. me here. I was weak. Because. <laughs> we want to talk a minute ago about how Jeff Bezos' whole move is a big PR stunt. That's what this is right here and right now in the way that they're spinning this. And the reason why is because we all, as soon as we saw this, we all got super excited. And we're like, wow, this is huge news. FaceTime coming to other platforms. Yeah, buy a link. That, that is a very different experience than app to app. What SP just said is exactly the problem. He wants to be able to fluidly be able to call his sister or his sister call him. That doesn't happen with a link. They are sitting there trying to get back into the, the game that has basically been replaced by Zoom, by Teams. That is what they need to get back to. A year and a half ago, you would hear all sorts of people say, I'm going to FaceTime somebody. Doesn't matter whether it was FaceTime or Google Duo or Skype. That is the term that many people use, is I'm going to FaceTime them. Now, uh, uh, probably as equally uh, misstated term, if not more, is I'm on a Zoom or I'm going to Zoom somebody. 
because Zoom just came out, blew up, and people are doing things like Teams or they're doing things like um, uh, the Google platform. They're doing these other services, Facebook Messenger, and, and they're just calling it the Zoom because all of a sudden every, the, the term Zoom got in pop culture everywhere. So that is, is what basically has replaced that misspeak of FaceTime. Now, obviously, there still is a lot of misspeak of FaceTime, but I think that it's a it's a big example on how Apple has lost a certain grip in a certain use case. And in this situation, that's all they're doing. They're just wanting to get back into that market of things like where people are using Zoom, where people are using Teams, and that's why they're willing to do a link. The link as well, again, we jumped to the, the iMessage thing. I did it just as well. I said, wow, this would be great if it went to iMessage. Then I started to think about the link. If they are doing it one directional, where you can generate a FaceTime with a link, or non-Apple users have to use a link, then what, there's zero indication that they would ever do anything with iMessage, because if they're not even going to make a fluid FaceTime experience where you can shove an app on Android, then why would they ever do anything like iMessage, especially because it locks people in? And I also know people who have gone back to Apple for the iMessage reasons. So I think that this is a little nugget that they, they want to chip away at a little bit of a market, get some of that use back because they probably mine that data and all that stuff. But they are just spinning this in a way that makes us all think of the fantasy that... Steve Jobs once wanted us to believe was that all this stuff was going universal. So I think that this really is, is unfortunately blown up way more than it should be based off of what they have announced this to be at this time. If they go and they make it app to app, I will eat all of that and say, okay, now it makes sense. It's Maybe the Apple they reality distortion field here, guys. Yeah. We're buying into the marketing hype. And that's the thing is you made a good point saying this. The fact that it's a link piece kind of goes to show you where their thought is. It's not like you can pull up your dialer or pull up an app on your phone and say, FaceTime call person X. It's whoever has FaceTime has to generate a link and send it to you, I believe is what the path sounds like. So it's not really seamless and useful. And that's part of why people love FaceTime or Duo or things like that that are integrated into their phones. It's they bring up a phone number and they hit video call and it goes and does it. This isn't that. I think... One of the things here to be mindful of is that this is 100% born out of the COVID-19 pandemic. And if it wasn't for the COVID-19 pandemic, we would likely not be seeing this at all. And perhaps this is just sort of a stopgap measure to see maybe they do have plans down the line to actually expand and make an app from this. But we won't know because it's still kind of a short time frame here for developing an app like that. I think that it would be cross-platform. Um, a couple other things I wanted to touch on were the fact that uh, they're rolling out what's called iCloud Plus. And one of the features they touted with iCloud Plus is this new private relay, which is just <laughs> a fancy term for a VPN. Why they don't just call it a VPN? Because I think everybody at this point knows what a VPN is because Literally, you can't watch a YouTube video without somebody hawking a VPN service. So everybody knows <laughs> what a wrong. VPN is. So for they should just call it watch, a VPN. Yeah, for those that watch YouTube videos, not everybody out there watch. I know it's hard to fathom outside of the bubble that we're in. We are in a bubble. There are people out there that Where's do it? not. 
it's Where's right outside your it's right outside your room. You can't, <laughs> hey, you look, can't it's, see. It's my relay app. I've got it pulled up and ready to go on my phone. It's my relay app. <laughs> it was, so there again, are, is something that Android has been able to do and iOS has technically been able to do for generations. It's just now being included in this iCloud Plus service. Android and iOS have always had the ability, well, not always, but for a long time had the ability for you to run a VPN client of some type on there. I've done it on both my iOS and Android devices, partly for just SNGs, but also because I was curious to see what was different on Netflix in different countries. So I would pull it up in a different country, see what was available, and then go to the next one. Curiosity, I didn't actually watch anything, so I don't think I actually broke their terms of service, but that's neither here nor there. VPNs have been cooked into there, and there's even been like for Pixel phones and people who are subscribers to Google Fi, if you connect to what is a Google-approved Wi-Fi source out in the wild, they'll put you on a VPN connection yeah. on that open Wi-Fi automatically, which has been really cool and really neat. And if that's how this relay service works as part of iCloud Plus or whatever, that's pretty cool when you're out in the wild. I think I cut Steve uh, SP off, so if you want to finish what you were going into... Not everybody out there knows what a VPN service is or that they need one or what it could do for them or even have a device that could really use it. But in our bubble, everybody knows what a VPN is. I think the four of us have all used one or currently using one right now or whatever. So, yeah, I I get that. But Apple announcing this to their architecture, to their bubble I think is opening up that possibility to more people. It's just a shame that they couldn't just say it was a VPN, that they had to say it was something special. That's normal Apple speak, though, (laughs) is you can't use the common term. You've got to coin a phrase that everyone can think you came up with it first. The one thing to remember about Apple, and this is going back to Steve Jobs, of why they were profitable in the end and what their business plan was, is to always innovate, make stuff that people would want, and then focus on that. And then focus on what is next. And the thing about Apple under Tim Cook is that next step hasn't been a priority for them, which is why they've fallen farther and farther behind. I mean, Mm -hmm. before it could have just been, okay, Apple's been working on it, but they're six months behind or 12 months behind because they want to get it right before they roll it out. We heard that a lot. Well, now they're freaking five years behind on some things that should have been rolled out years ago. Air power. Yeah. Airplay to Mac. I think it's because Tim Cook is not putting enough emphasis on that innovation, on that development. Not saying that Apple is not a company that has innovation or development. It's just not as much as it had underneath Steve Jobs. Well, I don't even know if it's that. Maybe they're not uh, attracting the right creative people in order to, to make that next broach. Or maybe they're too big of a company to be able to let loose 12 guys or or I shouldn't say guys, 12 people looking out into something that is going to make the company billions of dollars 10 years from now. So it's just a a factor of where Apple is now versus where it was underneath Steve Jobs. I I think Apple as a company today is drastically different. And even watching this Mm -hmm. keynote, I walked away wondering who exactly is their demographic? Because if you look at, the majority of the presenters that they had during this keynote, uh, most of them were, you know, middle-aged, and I would say at least two-thirds of them were women. And I'm just like, this is very interesting because you look at some other companies, they stress being young and, you know, but then Apple, all these people that you were seeing, 
during the keynote were middle-aged. And I was like, this is very interesting. This is the iPhone is now the hipster phone. <laughs> now? Well, may, maybe. Yeah. I do have to say on the VPN thing, I, I do agree with with SP there about um, they're, they're trying to go with the term that uh, the, the general folk can understand um, because they don't maybe know what VPN. But I do think it's a double edged sword because they also won't know the problems that will come when they do that, because we are living in an era where Joe and Jane Average are able to get fast speed and they do know that they mm -hmm. need fast speed to do streaming. That's not not a, a techie thing anymore. Apple is probably going to suffer a little bit with their VPN tunnels because there are huge co corporations doing VPNs. That, that's all they do, and they suffer from time to time with speeds. And these people aren't going to have that technical knowledge to know that this might reduce your speed if you're encrypting your traffic and going through a tunnel. So I think, um, I think that'll be interesting to see how that's all handled because I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I do have to say, though, that uh, the, the terms that they used, uh, they're very sexual. Uh, private relay and share play. Suncast, do you want to come over and share play in my private relay? Oh, absolutely. <sighs> no? <laughs> so he's just shaking his head. So uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is just I don't know if you guys saw the beginning of this keynote. I, I, I didn't I didn't watch it live, but I watched the beginning of it back on YouTube and uh, um, please can we not have Tim Cook on stage <laughs> anymore uh, especially this opening I don't know what they were thinking well uh, so they, isn't they, Johnny Ives gone with the company now so they can't put Johnny up there god I would kill for him back right now <laughs> because that whole opening was so cringe it started off with with Tim Cook walking backstage, a bunch of cheers and applause. Walks out on stage, they pan to a shot of the audience, and it's a Memoji audience. And it's just like, oh my god, guys, we, what we are their target are we audience watching? for these things. We're cynical people who've been well too entrenched in tech. <sighs> Do they have an audience? I don't think they have a target audience. No, I was like, <laughs> oh, we should have an audience for this. Why, why we can be cool and we can just make it a Memoji audience. It'll be really cool and tie in with our products. And Tim Cook can address the Memoji audience. And so I think the thing we need to realize here is that we're not exactly the target audience for these things anymore. And we're not the ones that are watching this live. The people that watch it live, they're the tech bloggers and things like that, whose job it is to recap it. So that cynical people like me can read the recap after the fact and not waste 60 minutes watching a live video production. This is basically advertising. They do this to advertise and some people watch it, pick up on things. But honestly, most people are going to pick up on what they put out there and that's what they'll talk about. I just, I'm so tired of events like this. It used to be, I'd get real excited. I'd watch bits and pieces of them. I forgot it was even today until Suncast started chatting us in Hangouts <laughs> and talking about what was going on at WWDC. And I went, oh, that was today. And I'll be I'm honest. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. until 4 p.m. to see a recap on a couple of different sites of what happened at WWDC? And I looked at it and went, the top 15 things you need to know. I'm like, there's no way that I actually care about these 15 things. It's like, no, it's like three things I care about on there. And maybe I'm cynical. Maybe I'm jaded. And it's maybe because I'm not as bought into iOS as some people. But all of these events in general, be it Apple, Android, things like that, it just doesn't 
matter as much. I can catch it after the fact, and I'm just as happy that way. I understand they do them because it's force of habit, muscle memory. They've done it this way for ages, but just I'm just happy to catch after the fact or catch it all condensed down into a 10-minute YouTube video. Well, I look forward to the day that we all in this show are replaced by emojis. Memojis. Sorry, is that the term? I've got to use the Apple. <laughs> or is it an emoji? I can't remember who owns what terminology. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'll let you know when I get to the old folks home and I really start caring about that stuff anymore because so- <laughs> it would be the only way that my great grandkids would talk to me. But so here's the thing I didn't realize. People still use these animated emojis. I didn't know that was a thing still. I thought no, we moved past These that. ones, though, the, these ones, because I did, I did see it at the end. At the very end, they, they did it again. They weren't, they weren't the animojis. They were the, weren't they the ones that actually looked like an emoji, right? Like they're round, weren't they? Suncast, weren't they the round in the audience? I don't think they were round. No. Well, I then think, I'm making things up because I, that... I like I watched. I think when it was all said and done, I watched about a total of 15 minutes of the whole thing in multiple sittings. <laughs> Not even that's too long. <laughs> well, that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I just want to give Suncast a moment here to first start us off and plug and promote where people can usually find you at. Uh, check out my Instagram. It is Suncast, S-U-N-K-A-S-T on Instagram. I've been posting a lot of my photos on there. I do uh, 360 photography and uh, go and explore some urban places, abandoned places. I've been doing a lot of like graffiti type of photos. So if you're into any of that, check out my Instagram. Chris, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? Yes. Don't go and watch WWDC. Read and watch the recaps <laughs> afterwards. That's what I'm plugging and promoting. And that's what I'm going to say for pretty much any of these big tech events, even E3, unless you really care a ton, because all those trailers are on YouTube minutes after they premiere at E3. Save yourself some time if you don't want to have to waste three hours watching a press event or two hours and just watch it after the fact. That's what I'm promoting. Let me ask you this. Would you want to go to E3 to talk to the vendors and talk to the corporations and that sort of stuff, not just see the announcements? It's virtual this year. so uh, Yeah, granted. But even when it returns back to normal, no, because they've made these things so that you can do most of those kind of things online via some method for video chat, things like that, to go and ask questions like that. E3, as we know, it's kind of died off because a lot of companies aren't going to it now. Like, for instance, Sony not going to E3 this year. Nintendo sort of doing their own streaming event that's part of E3, but is normally separate from E3. It, it's not what it used to be. If we're talking about E3 back like 10, 12 years ago, hell yeah, I'd go to that. E3 now? Nah, pass. SP, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? I would. I would like to promote our Discord server, which you can find at guineageek.com slash Discord. A lot of great conversations to be had there. We're talking about Jeff Bezos going into space earlier today, as well as some new episodes along the Guinea Geek network that were posted today. But more importantly, at least tonight, I don't know if this will be true for the future, but at least tonight you can get our live chat. It is a dedicated channel in our Discord server. We're testing things out, seeing how it goes. So uh, if you want to join us on live, on live at 5.45 p.m. Pacific time, 8.45 p.m. Eastern on Mondays at geeks.live. There's where the at was supposed to be. Uh, We do stream the show live then. 
Uh, I also want to give a little special shout out here to the wonderful Suncast. Uh, just because, like, like truthfully, I was in the same boat. I would not have paid attention to WWDC <laughs> if it wasn't for him today mentioning it. I totally forgot as well, Chris. <gasps> so, special shout out to you, Suncast. Thanks. And I should shout out Andrew as well because I started <laughs> seeing him tweet about it. And I'm like, oh, that was today? Because I did the same thing with uh, whatever their last keynote was in January or whatever. It was like, yeah. oh, there's an Apple thing today. Do I care? <laughs> Look, I think we've just experienced so many of them at this point in time. It's just like, okay, who gives a crap? But I imagine there's some people who this is their first time getting really interested in these kind of things happening and have a lot of excitement. And for those folks that are in that place, that's awesome. Don't let our jaded cynicism take you away from the fact that you enjoyed the event. Just beware. You'll probably turn into us after you've done four or five years of this and be like, oh, wait, this isn't really as cool as I thought. You will become cranky and old like us when it comes to these tech mm -hmm. events. This is your future right here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, on that note, for episode number 380 of the official Gonna Geek show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, yeah, we got cranky around episode one. And I'm SP saying I wasn't on episode one, but I was cranky back then too. I'm Chris. And I'm going to start cranky, going to geek.com. I'm Suncast, and I guess I'm in a bubble. Is it a bubble? I just got to say, uh, by the way, going to geek plus existed before iCloud plus. Take that apple. Bam, bam, shots fired. Pew. For checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.